This is Live on Purpose Radio, episode 478, How to Save a Marriage on the Brink of Divorce. Now is the only time to create and live the life you love. I'm Dr. Paul Jenkins, the positivity psychologist. My job is to connect you to powerful positive psychology principles that immediately upgrade your relationships business, and mental health. Are you ready? Let's jump in. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Live on Purpose Radio. This is Dr. Paul, the shrink who expands your life. And we're going to jump right in today with how to save a marriage on the brink of divorce. I'll share with you first the history and some research that's been done in this area that is important to know as we get started We'll take a few minutes to cover what doesn't work, and then we'll dive into what really does work. I love the way that my wife summarized this. Vicki said, okay, basically, you just need to do more of what works and less of what doesn't. So we'll be really clear about both of those things today. I'm coming from 30 years of clinical experience, and just as a little spoiler alert, There are nine principles that are absolutely essential to making a marriage work. You can go download the PDF for this at liveonpurposeradio.com forward slash nine principles. Use the number nine, the word principles, liveonpurposeradio.com forward slash nine principles. I'll send you a PDF of those nine principles that we'll be covering in some detail as we get to that part of the show today. John Gottman is one of the nation's leading researchers in the area of relationships and particularly marriage. I had the privilege early in my career of listening to Dr. Gottman present his research when he came to Salt Lake City. And during this two, I think it was a two or three day conference, he shared with us not only the research, but a lot of what they have extracted from that research to actually help couples. I'll come back to that in just a minute. The most shocking finding that he shared is that roughly 70%, 70, just below 70% of all of the problems in a marriage are unresolvable. Now, I share that with some of my clients, and half of them just throw their hands in the air, and they say, well, what's the use then? And others are just relieved because they don't feel so weird now. 70% unresolvable. Uh, Now, when he said problems, I think he was referring to conflicts. And let's just talk about that for a moment, because conflict happens anytime you bring two different people together. They have different backgrounds, different expectations, different preferences, different ideas about what's going to happen. And that causes conflict. Okay, so differences are predictable and expected. And Gottman pointed out that roughly 70% of those are unresolvable. They don't go away because people don't stop being different. This is not necessarily bad news because it's differences. Think about this. It's differences that make us relevant 
and interesting to each other. It gives us a reason to have the relationship in the first place. Look, if two people are exactly the same, then one of them is unnecessary. And it's the differences that make us relevant and interesting to each other. Even at the level of gender, it's the differences that are interesting. So notice that we're not going to get rid of the differences, so we're not going to get rid of the conflict. But here's the next part of the research that absolutely saved it for me. He pointed out that this number, this 70%, is true for miserable, highly conflicted, headed for divorce couples. Okay, no big surprise there, right? Couples who are on the brink of divorce. He also found that this number, this 70% figure, was true for happy, well-adjusted, stable, satisfied couples. There was no difference in the number of unresolvable problems that these two groups had, the miserable ones and the happy ones. You could not discern between these two groups of people based on that metric. Now, this caught my attention, and hopefully it catches yours. What does this suggest? It's not about the problems. And for years, back in shrink school even, they taught us to bring in a couple, spend about an hour talking about their problems, and then dismiss them and schedule your next appointment. People would leave feeling worse. And and it's because the problem focus doesn't work. The difference that Gottman found between these two cup or between these two groups of people has to do with how they deal with their unresolvable problems, what they do with them, what they do about them. And so he went on to share that there is a four-part process identified through the Gottman research that predicts that people will be on the miserable side of the page. Okay. In fact, he brags in his book, The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work, that he can predict divorce in one interview with a really high accuracy rating. And it's because he's looking for this four-part process that he identified through his research. He called it the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Do you like that imagery? Four horsemen riding in the end of the world, death and destruction, the end of the relationship. And here are the four horsemen. Remember, I promised to tell you what doesn't work. This is what was found through the research and a lot of clinical experience too, by the way, including my own. This is what doesn't work. It starts with criticism. Now, criticism doesn't have to be real or intended. As long as it's perceived, it works and we're off to the races. Okay, I've been a psychologist For three decades, I'm really good at offending people. And honestly, it's not in my heart to do so. I I don't want to upset anyone, but I'm really good at it because offense is a perception. And there are many, many opportunities to be offended. So uh, that's the first step. Criticism leads to defensiveness. Now, this makes sense, right? Because if you're being attacked, what do you want to do? Get your shield up. Protect yourself. It makes sense. 
And if you see your spouse being defensive, it's because they feel attacked. Now, you may not have intended to attack them. That doesn't matter because criticism doesn't have to be real or intended as long as it's perceived it works and it leads to defensiveness. Now, defensiveness leads to the third of these four horsemen, contempt. Contempt is kind of like defensiveness turned hostile. So you got your shield up. Now you draw your sword. You want to get some licks in. It's a counterattack. This isn't fun for anyone, and it leads to the fourth of these four horsemen. Gottman called it stonewalling. Stonewalling is turning away from each other instead of, instead of turning toward each other. Okay, it's, it's building up a more poor, permanent form of defense. Picture a stone wall where... I don't have to constantly be on guard. I'm, I'm, I'm protecting myself, putting more distance in that relationship. And this pattern is predictive of divorce. Now, I don't share that with you to alarm you because you're probably doing this. In fact, most couples do. And Gottman pointed out, he said, look, if this is the way that you deal with your unresolvable problems, that come from your differences. And, and I'm glad he put this part in, if you're not willing to change it, then it is predictive of divorce. Now, he gave us a little window here. If we're willing to change it, and this is where it's so relevant, what, what Vicky said, of it was so funny because I came home from this two or three day conference. This was early in my career, okay? We didn't have a lot of income at time. I spent a couple hundred dollars to attend. I was not seeing clients during that time. And they came home and reported, here's what we learned, honey. She's like, okay, so do more of what works and less of what doesn't. Is that what you learned in a couple of days? <laughs> nice. Yeah. But that's it. Really do more of what works, less of what doesn't. Be wise enough and vigilant enough to, to know the difference and to be able to discern. Do more of what works and less of what doesn't. Now, we're going to get to what works next. Uh, in fact, I told you we're going to cover nine principles. You can get a copy of these. I've got a PDF printout ready for you to go at liveonpurposeradio.com forward slash nine principles. Go grab it because you're going to want to have this as a reference. Let me give you a little background on these nine principles. And Gottman, by the way, covers seven in his book, The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work. I've got nine here. Some of them overlap with Gottman, but this is coming from a lot of clinical experience. And let me just tell you, after 30 years as a clinical psychologist, you can't shock me. All right? I have heard some of the darndest crap you can imagine. And I spent 13 of those years doing child custody evaluations for the court as a court-appointed evaluator. These are bitter, angry, divorcing people who can't figure out how to share their kids. I have seen it. Okay, I just want to give you that context. And in all my time as a clinical psychologist, I have never seen a family problem that couldn't be resolved with the proper application of these nine principles, that's how powerful they are. 
and I'll share them with you. But just wrap your head around what I'm saying here. I have seen it. Murder, incest, abuse, infidelity, addiction. The list goes on. And they're all covered in these nine principles. Uh, I know it sounds a little too good to be true. (laughs) These principles come with a guarantee. All right. If you apply these principles effectively, according to the safety guidelines that I'm going to share with you in just a minute, you can address any problem that comes up in a marriage guaranteed. Okay. So let's jump into them. The nine principles. Oh, and when I say principles, by the way, I'm talking natural laws. Okay. Like gravity. You never get up and and wonder, huh? Wonder if gravity's on. It is. And so are these principles. Notice that if you jump from the top of a tall building, you fall. Sometimes or every time? Every time, right? Uh, For sure or maybe? For sure. What if you're standing at the top of that building thinking, yeah, gravity, whatever. I don't believe in that. And then you jump. Same splat as the believers. Gravity doesn't care if you believe in it or not. Have you noticed this? This is how gravity rolls. Okay, it doesn't check in with you first. These principles are timeless, eternal principles. There's different names that we can attach to any of them, and you've heard different versions of them. I've picked some names that I think most people can relate to to describe these powerful nine principles. Okay, so here they are. Let's just go through them one through nine. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this particular episode fleshing them out. But the first one is positivity. Go back to episode 477. I talked about what positivity is based on a model that I developed over about three years of my career so that you'd have a visual take on what positivity actually is. Positivity is not some fluffy, oh, just think positive that you hear from the motivational speakers on the stage. No, this is the instruction manual for how to operate the equipment of your own mind. And if you want to have a successful relationship, if you want to save this marriage, you've got to know how to operate the equipment of your own mind because that's where all of the problems start and are solved. If we get a hold of the equipment, of the equipment of our own mind, We can work some miracles and things are possible that you didn't even realize. And you're doing some thinking that you may not even see. You're blind to it until it's called to your attention. So positivity is principle number one, and it is an important one. This In my coaching programs at Live on Purpose Central, I'm constantly coming back to positivity because what we think matters. Now, I'm not here to tell you how to think. I don't have that kind of authority. I just want you to see that you are thinking and that that thinking has a profound impact on your feelings, which affect your actions, which affect all of your results, including in this relationship. Okay. Look, if I don't even give you the other eight principles, you've got enough right there to run with in positivity. Take it seriously and learn what it actually is. Let me help you with that. Come on over to Live on Purpose Central. We'll help you out with it. Positivity. 
is learning to operate the equipment of your own mind. You could tell I get really excited about this because, wow, this is a game changer. Uh, either you drive your thoughts or your thoughts are going to drive you. And it's affecting your relationship more than you realize. So jump on it. Okay, positivity. Let's go to principle number two. Principle number two is values. This has to do with the why behind your relationship. This is a question that I have asked hundreds of couples over the past three decades. Why did you get married in the first place? Pause for a minute and ask yourself that because there's a big reason why you created this family to start with, this union, okay? And for a lot of people, it's like, you know, they wanted to have a happy family together or, or they wanted to um, achieve some form of joy. And that's how I summarize it, joy. Little three-letter word that means everything. Happiness, success, bliss, um, whatever it means to you, what was the reason that you formed this relationship in the first place? We have to get back to that. I sometimes think of that experience a couple of years ago when we had a full solar eclipse, okay? Do you remember that and where you were during that solar eclipse? I remember looking at that. I remember feeling the temperature drop. I remember everything getting darker. It was so interesting to experience that solar eclipse. What was blocking the sun? The moon. Do the math, you guys. Which one is bigger, the moon or the sun? The sun by a long shot. Then how is the moon getting in the way? Well, it's closer to us. It's in our face. And sometimes the problems in a relationship, because they're right in our face, we lose sight of the why that took us into that relationship in the first place. If your why is strong enough, you'll be able to do all of the, the challenging hows that come up when it comes to saving a marriage. So we got to get back to our values. That's number two. Let's go on to number three. Principle number three is humility. The way I define humility from a clinical standpoint is giving up our need to be right in exchange for being open. Consider that for a minute. One of the biggest problems we run into as human beings is knowing that we're right. If you go back in the archives a little bit and live on Purpose Radio, you'll find an interview I did with Dr. Richard Nisbet. And he is one of the most renowned experts on cognition, thinking, reason, logic. He has studied it his whole career. And, he, and Dr. Nisbet told me this on our show. He said, the biggest error we make is in believing what we think. And we know that we're right. And that has us showing up in terrible ways. You watch the news. What are all the conflicts about? It's about who's right, not what's right. Does that make sense to you? Humility is our, it's giving up our need to be right in exchange for being open. Uh, one of my friends, Brett Williams, was also on the show. He wrote a book, You Can Be Right or You Can Be Married. That's Brett's title. You can go look that one up too. And he's also in the archives that live on Purpose Radio. Humility is huge. 
Um, one of my clients recently, kind of joking, but I thought it was so profound. He said, Dr. Paul, there's two kinds of people in this world. And I'm interested. I'm a psychologist. Tell me. He said, there are those who are humble and those who are about to be. <laughs> and I really got a chuckle out of that because I think it's probably true. You know, if, if we are too prideful, life will kick us around to the point where we get to be humble. I know I experienced that myself when I went through a bankruptcy. What a humbling experience that was. Um, when you become a parent, you know, do you remember how patient you were before you had kids? And our life tends to reveal to us some of our weaknesses. We'll have opportunities to be humble. What if we were to just choose it? You know, be willing to change and be contrite and repentant and, and take on that character trait of humility. It's huge. That's why it's number three. Let's go to number four, forgiveness. I don't have to spend a lot of time on this, but I, I think it's worth saying that forgiveness is one of the most misunderstood principles out there because people think it's about letting someone else off of the hook. That is not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness from a, from a clinical standpoint is giving up our demand for a better past. It's an acceptance of what is, acknowledging both the upsides and the downsides. It's literally rethinking and reframing our experience in a way that allows us to take it less personally. And we do a lot of coaching around forgiveness, too, at Live On Purpose Central. I've, I've got a live coaching call every week where people come on and ask their questions. And this principle is such a powerful way to free ourselves from some of the burdens that have been created through, through past hurts. Forgiveness. Huge. Look, I've only shared four with you so far. Can you see the power of these principles? This, this is going to change everything for you as you adopt these nine principles and just work on them. Just get better at them. Okay. Let's go to the next one. Respect. And I ask kids as young as four or five years old, what does respect mean? And kids who have been exposed to the concept usually nail it. They say, it means to be nice. <laughs> How simple yet powerful is that? Mark Gungor is someone that I've followed for a while. You might remember a, a video that came out years ago called A Tale of Two Brains. If you haven't seen it yet, go look at it on YouTube. Mark Gungor, A Tale of Two Brains. He is also a, a pastor and a powerful counselor uh, around marriage and relationship issues. And he summed it up very nicely. He said, you can improve a marriage with two words, be nice. And that's what respect is all about, okay? It's treating other people the way we would want to be treated ourselves. Maybe even at a higher level, treating them the way they would want to be treated. Can we do that? Respect is powerful. Let's practice that. The next one is love. What number are we up to? I think that's number six. Number six is love. This is another one that gets kind of a fluffy interpretation sometimes. 
you know, especially around Valentine's Day or, you know, people think about the romantic aspects of, of love. Love is a choice. Um, in my second book, The Love Choice, I collaborated with some other professional speakers to produce this book. We each submitted a chapter on love. And I described the love choice as being opposite from the hate choice. And I'm convinced at this point that there is no neutral option. Every interaction you have with your spouse will be either a love choice or a hate choice, either a little or a lot. But there's no middle ground. There's no neutral option. And it's going to fall on one side or the other, either a little or a lot. In my essay, uh, The Love Choice, uh, contained in this book that I referred to, um, I, I give three steps, okay, to make a hate choice. Because we have to know the contrast. I'll just share them really quickly with you here. Assume the worst. Okay, that's what a good hate choice. Just assume that that person is evil and that they intend all kinds of pain and misery toward you. Assume the worst. Practice pride. Forget about that humility we talked about earlier. You're right. You know you're right. Dig in your heels on that. And then third, use your brilliant mind. Think to destroy. Find ways to hurt or gouge or maim or disfigure or punish that other person. Nasty, right? But that's how we make a hate choice. And just notice if any of that's going on in your heart and mind. After all those years in, in uh, divorce court, wow, I have seen so many people practicing hate. It's just sad and it damages their kids. Okay, so what's the love choice? The exact opposite. Assume the best. I want to go back to one of my podcast guests, Emil Harker, joined me for an episode at Live on Purpose Radio. Go look it up in the archives. Um, his book is You Can Turn Conflict into Closeness. And he points out that one of the most powerful things you can do is to start by assuming positive intention. Assume the best. And even if you're wrong, Emil points out, even if you're wrong, you're in a better position because of what it does to your own mind. It's powerful. Assume the best. Second, practice humility. We already talked about humility. Give up your need to be right in exchange for being open. And then third, use that powerful brain of yours. Think to create, to lift, to enhance, to edify, to build up. Makes all the difference in the world. All right, let's go to number seven, compassion. Probably don't need to say a lot about this. I think it speaks for itself. It has a lot to do with love, also respect, but we're adding elements of kindness. And it's interesting when you look at the root of the word compassion, it has to do with the willingness to suffer for or in behalf of. I work with a lot of parents in our parent coaching programs. Parents are a great example of compassion. They are willing to suffer for their children. They get up in the middle of the night to feed them when they're little babies, right? They sacrifice so much over the course of raising their kids. Compassion has to do with that level of commitment. 
to a person or a cause or a relationship? Are you willing to suffer for this? You know, I've performed, I don't know, eight or nine marriages uh, in the, in my adult life. And, uh, you know, there's a phrase that comes up often in a marriage ceremony for better or for worse. And most people mean for better because when it gets worse, they bail. Look, you're going to have some suffering to do. And if you choose to love someone, pain is guaranteed. I like the way Tim Hansel put this pain is inevitable. Misery is optional. But how are we going to handle the bad times, the hard times, the difficult times? Are we willing to suffer? Okay, compassion. Think about that one. Let's go to number eight, work. Big surprise. Anything worthwhile requires effort and work. When you notice that it's hard, awesome. Means we're going the right direction. Because gravity is one of those principles. Remember, we talked about that earlier. Gravity is always on. You never hear of someone falling up. And you never hear of someone spontaneously getting stronger. They have to go to the gym or through a difficult experience in order to gain that strength. It's going to take some work to build what you want to build. Now, I don't want to discourage you with that. I just want to be real about the project we're undertaking. This is not easy. And get some help, okay? You don't have to do this on your own. Jump in and get some coaching. We're doing that every week at Live On Purpose Central. Come check it out. There's a .com for that. You can go look it up. Or hire a private counselor, a therapist, or a coach. Let's get some work done. And, and you'll get to change some of your habits and behaviors too because we can't do the same thing and expect a different outcome. That's the definition of insanity, remember? We've got one more. This is number nine. This is the last on your list. Wholesome recreational activities. All right, now there are two important words here, wholesome and recreation, (laughs) okay? Because everybody does activities, but we have to be having fun. Both of these words are important. Wholesome, all right, I've been to Vegas. I know there's a lot of recreational activities aren't going to necessarily support your relationship. So be clear about the wholesome part and recreation. I also work in a very conservative religious community where sometimes people skip this word and just go with wholesome. Well, it's got to be fun too. Come on, lighten up people. We need to be having some fun. Those are the nine principles. I don't know if you've been taking notes, but I took notes for you. Go get the printout, okay? I've made a PDF for you of these nine principles. I want you to download it. I want you to print it out. I want you to post it somewhere where you can see it every day. Liveonpurposeradio.com forward slash nine principles, the number nine, the word principles. And I'll send it to you. It's free. Just go get it. I want to support you on this, okay? Now, really quickly before we close today. This episode, I have to give you the warning, and it's included right at the top of your handout. If you've already downloaded it, you see it right there in big red letters, warning for personal use only. And I am not joking about this. As a professional psychologist, I can't tell you how many times people drag their spouse in here hoping that somehow I can fix their spouse. And that's part of the problem. What does that look like or feel like to the spouse? Criticism. 
How's the spouse responding? Defensiveness. Oh, does this sound familiar? We got to do more of what works and less of what doesn't. These are for personal use only. Look, I sent a couple home years ago to memorize these nine principles. I'm going to give you the same challenge. If you're listening to this episode today, you have accepted the challenge if you've got to this part. (laughs) At least I'm going to assume that you're willing. Memorize these nine principles, commit them to memory, and then start practicing them. This couple that I sent home to memorize the nine principles, they came back a week later. Worse. Why? Because they used these powerful tools to beat each other up. You're not being forgiving. Well, you're not showing very much love or respect. See, they're using the nine principles to criticize each other. That's not going to help, even if you're right. And I'm going to give it to you. Your marriage would improve if your spouse would just shape up. It's true. And it's not useful. As soon as you point out all of the things that your spouse could be doing better, they're going to see that as criticism. They'll become defensive. Boom, we're off to the races with four horsemen. Okay, please pay attention to what Dr. Gottman and myself and others who have been in the industry for so long have noticed. That doesn't work. If this marriage is going to get any better, it's up to me. Okay. Now, and yes, it would be better if your spouse shaped up, but that's true, but it's not helpful. So when you get these nine principles into your hand, please heed the safety warning. These are for personal use only. And as you get better at these nine principles, your marriage will improve. Now, can we enroll your spouse in the same thing? Maybe. But here's the thing. I've spent a lot of my career working with families who did not save their marriage, that it went through a divorce. Maybe you're in that situation yourself. The best way to have a divorce is based on these nine principles. And that comes from a lot of experience as well. The problem is when people divorce, often they just abandon these nine principles and they go to bitterness and anger and blame. How is that going to improve a family situation? And yes, you're still family if you have children together, particularly, uh, regardless of your marital status. These are the nine principles that are guaranteed to save your marriage. Let's get working on them. You don't have to do this alone. I've got your back. Remember to download the PDF. Okay, go get it. It's your cheat sheet. Print it out. Post it on your wall. Liveonpurposeradio.com forward slash nine principles. That's my gift to you from this episode. This works, folks. And I've got 30 years of clinical experience backing it up. I'm sharing this with you today as, as a gift through this podcast episode. Thanks for listening. Did you get what you came for? Give yourself the gift of taking real action on what you realized today. Please share this episode with someone you know would value it and leave us a rating too. It's time now to live on purpose.